Welcome to Roadside, where we talk about the fascinating and sometimes disturbing history behind roadside attractions and unique destinations. Hello. Hello. Oh, I got to get my mic over here. I don't know if you can hear me. There we go. Hello. Hi. And welcome to Roadside. My name is Abigail. (laughs) My name is Janica. Yes, and uh, we're here. We are here, and I'm so excited to be here. Me too. Good. I love recording. I do too. And I tell you, like, I've been wanting to do this episode for a while. Really? So I'm... Do I know about this episode? Have you talked to me about this one before? No, you don't. Ooh. Yeah. Beginning, I guess. Um, What's up with you? Um, not much. My cat is now on anti-anxiety meds. Oh. I know. She got to take them every day. Oh, poor baby. But she takes them really good. So Good. That's good. Yes. And it's going to help her, so, you know. It will. She's just so nervous. I know. I brought her to the vet, and the vet was like, oh, my gosh, because she's got this spot on her back that she keeps licking, and all her hair is missing from that one spot because she keeps licking it so much. Yeah. And I know it's just because she's nervous. Yeah, and it probably didn't help having Percy around. Yeah, she does not like Percy very much. They'll warm up to each other. This has been going on for like a year or longer that she's been nervous like this. So I'm just glad to have something that will finally help her. Right. That's good. Yes. And I have my ghost mug today. Nice. I have my St. Louis Starbucks mug with the arch. Nice. Nice. I think this one was from Marshall's, but I figured it's, uh, it's appropriate. It's appropriate for our spooky podcast. You know, this might be appropriate for this episode in a couple instances. Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. What's up with you, mama? Uh, well, I went out last night with some girlfriends. I got to see my friend, Denise. Hi, Denise. If you ever listen to this, uh, she moved to Florida like three years ago. So, and I haven't seen her since. So that was really exciting. Well, that's good. I'm glad you got to see her. Yes, me too. Oh my God. Adjust my chair. Uh, That's actually my chair, but okay. You're right. It is. But you never (laughs) used it. So I got it now. (laughs) No, I'll probably take it eventually and probably cover it. It's not the chair that I ultimately want down here, but it's, you know, it it works and it's comfier than my sitting in my office chair. Yeah. Other than that, I got a promotion. (gasps) You did? I did. Oh my gosh. Didn't you not see that in the family text like last week? I guess not. <laughs> I guess not. Yes, I got a promotion. Well, tell me about it. Uh, I am now the HR manager. Hold on. <clears throat> I got to get my professional voice on here. Yes. <laughs> HR, <laughs> HR manager of training and development. There you go. Get your customer yeah. service voice going. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm so excited, though. I've been in the HR field for a while, and... I know pretty much all the aspects, but what I really love is helping the employees to understand doing the trainings and things like that. Like that is my passion. So I'm so excited for this role. It's going to be really fun. Good. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited for you, mama. That'll be good. Thanks, babe. You're welcome. And that's probably about it. All right. Sounds good. I don't think I've got anything else either. You ready for this then? Yes. 
Okay, I'm ready. Tell me everything. Okay. Much like the speakeasies, this is going to be a running series. Ooh. And today we are talking about Old Comiskey Park. I don't know what that is. It's a baseball stadium. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's cool. We're going to be doing a series of baseball, well, sports in general, Mm -hmm. stadiums, because there's some shady shit in sports sometimes. There is. There is. I don't know how to respond to that. I don't either, Siri, but... (laughs) (laughs) You should keep that in. Don't edit that out. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, there's some shady stuff. There's some, you know, some crime. There's some ghosts. I'm sure there's lots of crime. So there are no ghosts in at Old Comiskey that I could find. Right. But there's a lot. I'm just going to preface this episode by saying if you found this episode because you are a, a baseball fanatic and you think this is a baseball podcast, you are you are just you're wrong. Not, that's not right. You're just wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to give you any statistics of batting averages what? And, and all of that. That's just not happening in this That's episode. That's what I needed to know, Mom. Well, I, I stand corrected. You might get a couple statistics. Okay. But as long as there's some statistics, I'll be okay. Right. I, I personally love baseball. Yeah. I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Yeah. I'm also a White Sox fan, which is where... Comiskey, where the White Sox played at Old Comiskey Park. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure where it was. That's clicking in your brain. It did not, but thank you. Uh Uh-huh. I can tell you some players of the White Sox, but they are not current players. Ah. They were, they played a hundred years ago, and so we'll get into that. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But I love going to Cardinals games. Mm -hmm. I love watching baseball when it's like an exciting time, but I am never the person that's Home Alone is going to turn on the baseball game. So just right. just know that going into this episode. But I am going to give you some history of old Comiskey Park. So if you're here for that, stick around and enjoy it. Okay, deal. Comiskey, we'll start there. Okay. So Charles Comiskey, who the park is named after. What? <laughs> yeah, it's not like the stupid stadiums of today that are named, you know, after businesses. Yeah. Which drive me crazy it because does. they constantly change names. I know. Riverport will always be Riverport. Okay, just saying. For those in St. Louis, you know what I'm talking about. It's Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. It is not. Anyway, uh, Charles Comiskey, sometimes referred to as Commie or the Old Roman. Okay. He was a major major league baseball player and a manager from 1882 to 1894. Okay. For the St. Louis Browns. Ooh. And the Cincinnati Reds. Okay. So he left the major leagues and he purchased the Sioux City Corn Huskers in Sioux City, Iowa. All right. So this was at the time it was part of the Western League, which was in the minor leagues. So we have the major league baseball and minor league baseball. Right. How much do you know about baseball, by the way? Like, not a lot. I'm like, I don't know how much I should explain because I don't want to like think that you don't know anything, but also I don't know how much our listeners know yeah. or care about baseball. Just, just explain the stuff. Okay. There's, like, this is just going to be the history of the park. This is not really baseball. Right. <laughs> Again, right. baseball's here, but it's not. Okay. He moved the Cornhuskers to St. Paul, Minnesota and renamed the team the St. Paul Saints. The St. Paul Saints. St. Paul Saints. Yeah. Fitting. 
1900, he moved the team again. So this team originally was Sioux City Cornhuskers, now moved for the third time, but he's moving them to Chicago. Okay. And this time he has changed the name to the White Stockings. White Stockings. Yes. That doesn't sound good. (laughs) So that same year, 1900, the Western League became what is known today as the American League. Okay. And in 1901, they moved from the minors to be part of Major League Baseball. So if you don't know Major League Baseball, we have the National League and the American League. I did not know that. All right. So the St. Louis Cardinals are part of the National League and the White Sox are part of the American League. So they'd never play each other unless it's one of those fun interleague games or it's a World Series. Oh, I didn't even know that. The National League. Yeah. National League only plays National League teams. American League only plays American League teams. Until they get to the World Series. So what's the difference between the leagues? There's really no difference. It's just like, I mean, they have the same rules and all of that. Mm. They're all part of Major League Baseball. Uh, It's just, I guess you could say it's trying to find the best player, the best team. (laughs) And I'm sure there are sports people listening right now going, you're a fucking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) But in my head... In my head, it's just like, we have the National League and the American League. Even my brother would probably listen to this and go, you're a fucking idiot, but I don't care. Yeah. And then you find out who's the best team at the end. (laughs) All right, deal. Works. You know what? That's enough background for me. I'm good. Okay. And and now anybody who was here for baseball has dropped off. Yeah, they're gone by now. They're like, like, these girls have no clue. (laughs) All right. I mean, I feel like I have a little clue, but anyway. I don't. I don't. Whatever. Oh, okay. So in 1904, the team shortened their name to the White Sox. Okay. That sounds better than the White Stockings. Correct. Yeah, I agree. Imagine like trying to cheer on a team <laughs> while you're there at a game. White Stockings, White Stockings. That just sounds horrible. Now, if you go White Sox, White Sox, that's way better. Which is probably how it got shortened. I'm, I'm imagining probably. somebody's like, this is way too long. Yeah, the fans are probably like, dude, you think I can write all of this on a poster to bring to a game? No. <laughs> That's a long poster. Mm-hmm. It's a banner. Uh, okay. It is, yes. Oh, we'll be talking about some banners later, too. That's oh, fun. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, okay, and some chanting. We'll get there. Okay. So the White Sox had a few successful years at what they played at the time was called Southside Park. It was a wooden ballpark that they played in, and it had 15,000 seats. Okay. Games only cost 25 cents a game. That'd be nice. Yeah. At the time, that was half the cost of what the Cubs games were, because the Cubs are also a team in Chicago, but the Cubs are part of the National League. Right. Okay. They brought in a lot of people who wanted to watch... A major league baseball game because they were half the cost. And people at the time said, you know, I can't afford to pay 50 cents a game. Right. So I'm going to go see the White Sox play instead of the Cubs because it's going to cost me 25 cents versus 50 cents. Yeah. Half the price. Correct. Pause because I forgot to look up how much this is. (laughs) Oh, I was just about to ask. Oh, and I don't need a negative. It wasn't negative 25 cents. They give you 25 cents just for showing up at the game. <laughs> they say, we're so desperate for fans. Please. We'll you Probably. Money. We'll pay you to come watch us play. Oh, <laughs> so, so 25 cents. 
<laughs> 25 cents a game at the time was about five dollars okay okay so basically they're paying you five dollars to go no. to the game. <laughs> so if you couldn't afford to go to a cubs game you went to a white Sox game okay. anyway but how great would it be to go to a game for five dollars though god i wish i know well, you know, I mean, baseball games aren't that expensive. I mean, you're going to pay probably $30, mm-hmm. $40 a game in St. Louis anyway. Other teams might be more. Right. But to go to like a hockey game, I wish I could pay baseball game prices for yeah, a hockey game. Definitely. So Charles Comiskey was, he's said to be like pretty stingy. Okay. And money hungry. Mm-hmm. Mr. Krabs. He was, he, <laughs> he was also pretty much the first actual baseball player to become the owner of a team. Oh, wow. Okay. So he had, yeah, he had the knowledge of what it took. Right. For a baseball player to be a good baseball player where other managers and team owners were essentially just businessmen. Right. They were just the money of it. Correct. Yeah. So he knew, he knew what a baseball player had to have in order to be, um, to make a good team. All the ins and outs and everything. And he had the money, so. And he had the money. And he was determined that his team would be more successful than pretty much any other team. Good luck. He, he kind of did it. Did he do good? Okay. I thought we were going in the other direction. No. No. Okay. Um, his first step in this was to create a new baseball stadium. Okay. Because his, his only had 15,000 seats. Mm-hmm. And he knew if he had a bigger, better stadium... He could bring in more and more people. He could raise the prices and he could make more money. Stop paying people to go. Start paying him. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's okay. So in 1909, he purchased 14 acres of land. It was once a landfill. landfill. Ooh, yummy trash. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, at least it wasn't a, you know, a, a cemetery. Yeah. Probably why I it's mean, not haunted. Probably why it's, yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Would have been haunted if it was. Right. Uh, so this lo- was located at 35th Street and Shields Avenue in downtown Chicago. Okay. February 4th, 1910, surveyors staked out the ground for the stadium. And during this design process, Comiskey consulted with White Sox pitcher Ed Walsh. And it was said that the stadium gave an advantage to pitchers because of the way that they designed it. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, later, some modifications were made, but still seemed to be given advantage to pitchers. Okay. March 17th of 1910, the green corner, a green cornerstone was laid on St. Patrick's Day for Ooh. good luck. Oh, nice. Cute. Yeah. So the stadium was only the third concrete and steel Major League Baseball stadium to be built at the time. So it's kind of like a little bit know. of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it broke the record at the time for the most seating Ooh. with 32,000 seats. So not only did he double it, he more than doubled right. it and broke a okay, record. So to compare, hold on. What are we comparing? How many seats are in... Bush Stadium. I knew that's what you were going to compare. <laughs> 46,000. Yeah. So, I mean, he had 32,000 at the okay. time in 1910. Okay. Yeah. Good. So that is good. Yeah. 
for, okay, for a time it was referred to as the quote unquote baseball palace of the world. Ooh, fancy. The new stadium was originally named White Sox Park, but it was changed to Comiskey Park in 1913. Okay. So May 1st of 1910, they're still working on the stadium at this time, because this is when it's being built. Mm -hmm. Iron workers went on strike. Ooh. Yeah. They were demanding higher wages, which halted construction of not only the stadium, but a lot of other buildings in the Chicago area as well. Mm, because it wasn't just it wasn't just the stadium no, no, no. that were going on strike, right? Yeah. It was just the iron workers. Everybody. Yep. Yep. Nine okay. nine like the iron workers union, nine hundred of them went on strike. Okay. So it affected a lot of buildings at this time. Right. So the strike only lasted a little over a month, and in the end it was settled that the iron workers were going to make an extra two point five cents an hour because they were demanding higher wages. They wanted to go to, I believe it was five cents an hour, but they got 2.5 cents an hour. Okay, so middle ground. They went from 62.5 cents an hour to 65 cents per hour, which in today's money is $20.22 up to $21.03. Okay. So not a huge jump, no, but. Not a huge jump, yeah, but mm -hmm. still something. Yeah. This uh, didn't really push back Comiskey Park and his goal for opening day. So luckily, like, I guess, you know, things worked out. They got moving. They did their they did their stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, along the left field line were the words, no betting allowed in this park. No, like betting, like B-E-T? B-E-T-T-I-N-G, like gambling. Yeah. Okay. I thought you said bedding, oh. like <laughs> sheets and blankets and pillows. <laughs> And I was like, you're not allowed to sleep in this park. And don't even think about bringing your own blankets. <laughs> no. Betting. <laughs> like, game. Okay. <laughs> uh, the total cost to build Comiskey Park was $750,000, which today is $24 million. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot of money. Dude had some money. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He was determined... How did he get? How did he get his money? Just baseball, playing baseball? I don't think so because I don't think he really had much of a major league career. Okay, maybe he was just has a rich family or something. I mean, he's also a biz smart businessman, so he could have. I oh, mean, he was okay. also. A, did he own other businesses? I guess I have no idea. I did not research him that much. This was more about All the right. park than Comiskey himself. I mean, we'll get That's into fair. a little bit of him, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, okay. On June 28, 1910, an open invitation to opening day was published in the Chicago Tribune. Ooh. And again, I'm just going to say newspapers.com is amazing because I got so much of this. Like the like the ironworkers strike was nowhere in any of research I did except mm. in newspapers.com. So nice. nice. And so was this. You have to, you'll have to send me your login. Again. Because I haven't, again? I'm pretty sure I sent it to you. But I'll send it to you. It's fine. Okay. I don't remember that, but I haven't, I totally forgot about newspapers.com. Yeah. So an open invitation was published in the Chicago Tribune and here is what it said. Mm -hmm. And it's all like this okay. fancy script. I'll, I'll have to post it on mm -hmm. our socials. The American League Baseball Club of Chicago requests the honor of your presence at the opening of White Sox Park Friday afternoon, July the 1st, 1910 at three o'clock. It's like a wedding invitation. Oh, like, it's like a, like an actual invitation, yeah. yeah. Yes. 
So, but for the whole city. Yes, exactly. So July 1st, 1910 was opening day. Nice. Yeah. And that was his goal and he got it. <clears throat> In the middle Good. of the season, the team switched stadium. So, because July 1st is the middle of a season. <laughs> right. So they left their old park and came to the Chicago White Sox or the White Sox Park and played their first game mm -hmm. against the St. Louis Browns. Oh. Yeah. Did we win? The Sox lost two to zero. <laughs> In your face. <laughs> St. Louis. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's fine. You gotta represent. You gotta represent. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, I mean, I do have my St. Louis mug with me right now. You do. Yeah. I should have worn like a cardinal shirt or something. I actually almost did. Because I was just about to throw on just any yeah. old shirt. And then I was thinking, oh, I should throw on my Shoeless Joe shirt. But I did not do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Fun fact, though. The St. Louis Browns is now the Baltimore Orioles. They moved. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds good. The White Sox started to climb in the rankings. And Comiskey's goal now was to build the greatest baseball team in history. Okay. He started. Can we hold on pause. Okay. Is it Kaminsky or Kaminsky? Kaminsky. You've said it two different Kaminsky. Okay, I thought you said Kaminsky at the beginning. Did I say Kaminsky? I feel like you might have, but I don't know. I wasn't sure which one was the right one. No, it's Kaminsky. I might have just heard it wrong. Kaminsky, okay. If I said Kaminsky, that was just me bumbling. Because <laughs> I've, right. I've known this name for uh, too long. <laughs> okay, maybe I just heard you wrong. You probably got it right. Since I was in high school, I've known this name. But anyway, Comiskey, yes. Comiskey. He started recruiting players from other teams. And how baseball players were traded back then is a lot different than now. Okay. Essentially, a baseball team would find a player. They would, from a farm team or, you know, minor leagues or wherever, they would scout out players. And then they would recruit that player. And that player was signed to that team for the rest of their baseball career. And they had, like, the contract was essentially for life until they're done with their okay. career. Or if another team paid for them. So Comiskey would go to these other teams. He would pay that team for that player. So that team got that money. The player did not get that money. Right. And the player didn't get to choose. Correct. Where he went. Correct. Okay. It was, okay. it was like once that team signed that player, that player was theirs. Like. Right. Their property, essentially. Right. Ba yeah, basically. Nowadays, they have, it's done a lot differently. And. A whole different. Yeah. You know, players make a lot more money nowadays, too. And. Right. They, be, they can become a free agent. And, I mean, baseball players, as sure as. Everybody here. They move around all the time. They move around all all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, after the, after the, I think, I don't remember which World Series Cardinals won, but I remember everyone burning Albert Pujols' shirts and stuff. <laughs> and I was like, ah. Oh. And now he's back, right? Or was? I think, yeah, I think he, yeah, because then there was like three of them that were playing all at the same time and it was a really big deal. But again, I am not the sports person, okay? Like, I know Yachty's yeah. name. I know Poolhole's name. Like, that's all I got. I remember the whole Mark McGuire thing. Like, I know these names, but I don't. Oh, <laughs> trust me, I'll do Bush Stadium someday and we'll get into Mark McGuire. <laughs> so, I'm excited. <laughs> okay. And by the way, just a little insert here 
when I told you that Rebecca was going to be on an episode because I've changed my mind on the one that she was going to be on, I want her to be on a baseball stadium an ep- episode. Mm. And she, All right. she said, anybody but the Cubs. <laughs> Deal. Which I will totally do Wrigley Field at some point. All right. Even though the Cubs supposedly are our are, are enemies here in St. Louis, but you know. I don't care enough about baseball <laughs> to really like, I, like I can't, I can't be like, oh, fuck the Cubs. Right. You know, like, I, I'm sure they're all great people. I get the good, like the fun rivalry of it. I think that is fun. Right. Like, and I, I love the spirit of baseball and like, I get in on the excitement when like, mm-hmm. our teams are doing well. But I am right. never going to be like the person like dumping a beer on a Cubs fan's head because he, he has right. a Cubs shirt on in my stadium. Like, I'm not that person, you know? No, that's stupid. It, it, it absolutely is. If you do that to people at a baseball stadium, you're dumb. Yeah. What is that going to change? You think they're going to be like, ah, oh, all right, I'll go buy a Cardinal shirt. <laughs> no, uh, they're probably going to throw their beer at you. Right. I look at it as like I'm walking in, I'm walking in to like, vote for the next president of the united states and somebody hands me a flyer Mm -hmm. oh dang sure i should change my mind because you just handed me a flyer 25 feet from the voting poll like exactly even though i made this decision a long time ago of who i'd vote for i'm gonna change my mind yeah except with except sometimes i feel like it's almost more intense with oh my gosh sports sports is yes it's because very intense it's like supporting like if you were born in that city oh, and yeah like, i've been a fan for 50 years and like i mean i've you know i've been a st louis cardinals fan since i was as young as i can remember because my brother would watch the games constantly he had all the baseball cards and and mm-hmm. i remember one time purposely rooting for the opposite team just just to annoy <laughs> my brother you know <laughs> like, yeah i would do that i would do that yes. see that's how you know that I'm not so dedicated to baseball is that I would root for the opposite team just to piss off whoever I'm with. <laughs> I would do it. Well, and when I was in, I think, fifth grade at the time, of course I want to annoy my younger brother, you know? Yeah. I, I would still do it. I would do it today. <laughs> if, me and, if me and Nathan were watching a baseball game and he was really into baseball Which and we were playing, not. he's not. He's a video game guy. You know, I would definitely do that. Yeah. <laughs> I would. All right, let's get back on track. I think we got right. here. <laughs> All right. So Comiskey's ready to build the greatest baseball team in history. So he starts recruiting right. players from other teams. And he is spending between ten thousand to fifty thousand per player. Back then? Back then. <laughs> so this is two hundred and eighty thousand to one point four million per player. Holy shit. Now, just to give you a little insight, one of these players, he does, I think he paid $50,000 for them to the team. Right. So the player doesn't get that. The player's salary was like $8,000 a year. The fuck? That just gives you a little how that works. If you think that that player is good enough to pay a million dollars for them... Don't you want to give them some money for their skills? But I think back then, no, because I think back then it was seen as more of a business and these, these players were pawns in the business, you know, like, yeah, it was a bit, it was a business move Mm -hmm. a lot different now, of course. Yeah. So now the entire reason that you are getting this episode in the first place. (laughs) Oh boy. 
is because of my obsession with Shoeless Joe Jackson and the Black Sox scandal. <laughs> I actually, I don't know a whole lot about Shoeless Joe Jackson. Good! Which I've heard, I've heard what you've told me over the years, and I've seen the shirt, obviously. Right. But I don't really know a lot about him. I know he, he didn't wear shoes one time. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you about that. That's it. That's, uh, that's all I got. Okay. So I just want to give a, a quick shout out to Mr. Libel. Thank you for introducing me to Shoeless Joe and the Black Sox scandal. And also, sorry for telling you to fuck off one day in class. Okay. <laughs> Was this in high school or? In high school, yes. In high school? Yeah. So um, just a very quick side note. Um, I w- we were supposed to bring our report stapled in class. Now, mind you, in like 1993, it wasn't common that everybody had a stapler at home. Mm-hmm. And so I asked to borrow his stapler and he said, this was supposed to be brought in stapled. And I was mad because we didn't have a stapler and I told him to fuck off. I mean, dude. But he was one of my favorite teachers. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> he didn't, man. He didn't, if, he didn't do, he didn't like, I didn't get in trouble or anything, but it was fine. Well, that's good. Anyway. I, I don't think I've ever told a teacher to fuck off. That's good. Don't, don't tell. Teachers I don't think I could do off. it. Teachers are amazing and you should never tell them to fuck off. We love teachers. Yes. Everybody. Absolutely. We should probably. Yep. <laughs> what? What? Did you, were you saying something? We should probably what? I don't remember. Okay. Anyway. I think that was just a brain fart. Okay. So Kamiski, he's got some great players now, but there's one more player that he absolutely has to have. So he sends a blank check with the instructions that he doesn't care how much it costs. He wants Shoeless Joe Jackson. All right. So he ends up paying $65,000 for Jackson, which today is $1.8 million. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. So here's just a little bit about Shoeless Joe. Okay. Just because I have to. Born Joseph Jefferson Jackson. He couldn't read or write. JJJ. Yep. He couldn't read or write. He was a mill hand, and he played on a factory team in his hometown of Greenville, South Carolina. Okay. During one particular game, his new cleats were causing blisters, so he took them off, and he played the game in his socks. As he was rounding third base, a fan yelled out, quote, you shoeless son of a gun, you. <laughs> and he became Shoeless Joe. All right. This man's entire history is actually quite fascinating, and I kind of went down a rabbit hole of Shoeless Joe, but this is about Comiskey Park. I'm not surprised. So if you want to hear more about Shoeless Joe, I could always do a bonus episode on him. Just let me know. I would love that, actually. I would would love to do, I would love, love to do it. Um, I do kind of have an obsession with Shoeless Joe. Literally wanted to name my son Joseph Jefferson Jackson and call him Jack, and I was vetoed that by my husband at the time for good reason, for for very good reason. I'm not going to tell you my son's last name, but it would not have been appropriate, and he would have been made fun of a lot as a child growing up. <laughs> oh, you just got it. She just got it. <laughs> if you knew my son's last name. <laughs> I've never heard that before. You've never heard that? <laughs> Yes. You never told me that. I wanted to call. I wanted to name him oh Joseph Jefferson I mean, Jackson and call I him Jack. I knew that you wanted to name him Jack at some point, but I never put the two together. Well, oh, well Dad did, good. and he was like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, not happening." And then I was like, "Oh, yeah, smart man." Yeah, yeah. 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 
So oh, my geez. my son's name is not Jack. Um, <laughs> he's not a Jack, anyways. He's not. He's not. He was he was recruited into the major leagues and uh, and then purchased essentially by Comiskey. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Sox did really really well. They ended up Good. they ended up winning the nineteen seventeen World Series. Like they just kept climbing in the charts. They won the charts. It's not. A music industry. Um, they kept I know climbing in the stats or whatever you call it. Um, so they won the 1917 World Series. Unfortunately, in 1918, they lost some players because either one, they were drafted for World War One, mm. or two, some of those players were actually allowed to, or I guess left. It was a little muddy to me mm-hmm. to find a field in which they could work that they couldn't be drafted oh so not entirely sure what that meant i'd have to dive into that a little bit more but anyway so for the 1918 season it wasn't that great because they didn't have some of their great players some of them had were right but but they still had shoeless joe i believe he was in the 1918 series season yeah okay so in 1919 though they were back and they were favored to win the World Series oh. in 1919. So as I said, Comiskey was said to be kind of uh, kind of stingy with the money when it came mm-hmm. to, to just, you know, giving it out, essentially. Right. He did seem to dote on his fans quite a bit, though. Okay. Because I'm assuming because fans are the ones that brought him money, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. But there were stories that he sent box tickets to like the superintendent of a local public school mm. because he thought that baseball was educational. And he also gave out 75,000 tickets every season to schoolboys. Oh, that's nice. And yes, the article did say boys. Boys. So I yeah. guess girls didn't get to come to the game, but whatever. Uh, baseball is not for girls. No. <laughs> Apparently, we might be proving that right now, but. But I love, I do love baseball. Anyway, um, during the rain, he would move seats. He would move fans that like couldn't afford the covered seats. He'd move them to covered seats and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's nice. In some instances, he did seem to care. Okay. Supposedly, players were bitter because they were paid low salaries at the time. Mm -hmm. There was, like I said, there was a clause in their contract that they were prevented from moving a team unless right. they were basically sold to another team. Right. There was speculation at the time that many players felt trapped because they were owned by the team. Um, they weren't really given a choice of where they could go, which right. like I said, was kind of reality. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah. Until 1976. That's when players could become free agents and things started changing. Mm-hmm. But really their only other option was you stay with that team or you leave baseball. You play or you don't yeah. play. Kind of how it went. Pretty much. So there was a book published in 1963 called Eight Men Out by Elia Asnoff. And at the time, this was supposed to be all about the Black Sox scandal and gave lots of lots and lots of information. Unfortunately, some of that was not correct. Mm. I mean, it is a good book and it was turned into a movie. And okay. But I will say it probably should have been more of a based on true based on a true story mm. rather than nonfiction. Right. And I'm gonna get into some of that. But there were actually 
podcast that I went to go listen to about all of this that were still citing eight men out as mm. their source. A fact. Yeah. And honestly, until five, six, seven years ago is some of it wasn't proved until then because mm-hmm. just with technology and things like that, like nowadays at the time, I should say Elliot Asnoff did not have, he didn't have newspapers.com. Okay. Like he couldn't go and, right. and look up all the newspapers from 1919, 1920 and all of that right. in the sixties. And he couldn't necessarily go like interview all of these people 40 years after this happened. So he had a very right. small window of information. information. Yeah. Like that was available to him. Right. But he also said that he did take some creative freedom and make some things up. Well, you can't do that with nonfiction. Correct. But I guess in 1963, nobody could prove him wrong. Right. So, I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about him. That's just like he, in my mind, it is a good book. It is a good movie. He just should have Mm -hmm. said based on a true story rather than nonfiction. Right. So I did get the accurate information. Now I'm going to say accurate as in what was available to me today. Who knows what is to come out in 10 years and could prove. Right. This may not be accurate again. Yeah. I don't know. That's yeah. just fair warning. So anyway, okay. So another, a couple other things that were, I don't know if these were rumors, if it was true, whatever, that Comiskey was kind of a penny pincher, mm-hmm. that he made them purchase their own World Series uniforms. Oh. I don't know. Okay. Those had to have been expensive. So according to Eight Men Out, the book, Eddie Seacott, who was the pitcher, was said to have been promised a bonus that would essentially double his salary. Oh, wow. So if he were to win 30 games, he would get that bonus. But once he got to 29 games, he won 29 games, Comiskey made sure that he was benched for the rest of the season so that he wouldn't be eligible for that bonus. Awesome. Now, that is according to the book Eight Men Out. Right. We'll get, we'll get back, we'll come back to that. Remember, they were favored to win the series. Mm-hmm. And in 1919, actually, the series was extended to nine games instead of the typical seven. Hmm. And there were two reasons for this. One was because of the war. So all the players were back and like there was so much excitement to like have right. baseball back to regular and all of that. And two, the owners of the teams realized, oh, with two extra games, we could make a lot more money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so now we're at the World Series, and we're going to enter Arnold Rothstein, who was referred to as The Brain. The Brain. And he was a crime boss from New York. Oh. So he saw an opportunity to make some money, too, from the 1919 World Series. hmm And he set up what was called The Fix. Okay. So okay. when you look at some of the information about the fix from 1919 people are just like oh my god gambling oh this is terrible this ruined baseball this is Mm -hmm. like a lot of people think like this was such like an isolated event this was not an isolated event there was a lot of gambling in baseball yeah a lot oh yeah it was not allowed 
There's a lot of gambling in all sports. That is correct. And there, it was not allowed, though. Like, it was very, very illegal right. to be gambling on baseball. But do you remember that big sign that Comiskey had put up in the park? Right. No betting allowed in this park? Yep. And we all know, mm-hmm. no sign gets put up anywhere without somebody doing something stupid. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. <laughs> so there was a lot of gambling in baseball, but this was also probably the biggest one that ever happened. And okay, we're going to get into it. Okay. All right. White Sox player Chick Gandel met up with a bookie named Joe Sullivan, who went by Sport. And Sport Sullivan and discussed the opportunity to throw the World Series in exchange for $80,000. Oh, wow. Which is the equivalent of almost $1.5 million today. Mm-hmm. If he could get his teammates on board, they could split that money. Mm-hmm. On September 21st of 1919, Gandal and some of his teammates met in a hotel room with Sullivan. And in total... Seven more players would be considered part of the plan. So eight in all. Wow. Gandal was to receive the majority of the money for setting it all up, I I guess. Mm -hmm. The rest were going to get approximately $5,000 each. Some more, some less. It kind of like fluctuated. Right. Today, that's about $92,000. That's a good chunk of money. Yeah. So besides Chick Gandal, here were the other players involved. Eddie Seacott, as I mentioned, was the pitcher. Mm -hmm. So he was the first of the players to come forward and sign a confession after the series. Mm. Buck Weaver, who attended the meeting but never received money and really didn't do anything Mm. to throw the series. Right. And in the end, fans, I mean, still today you can find people who think he was punished too harshly. Okay. Lefty Williams whose annual salary at the time was only 2600 Dang. He was promised 10000 of the money, but only received five. Hmm. Oscar, who went by Happy, Happy Felsch, his salary was slightly higher than Lefty Williams at 2750 He also received 5000 Swede Risberg, who was one of the ringleaders along with Chick Gandal and received $15,000. Okay. Fred McMullen, who initially was not involved or I guess invited to be part of this, but he threatened to mm-hmm. report them if they didn't include him. Ooh. Which he felt left out. He he kind of got his karma for that threat. Yeah. And Shoeless Joe Jackson. Ooh. Who did not attend the meeting. He did not do okay. anything to throw the games. And in fact, he played very well. He got, this is where you're going to get your, you're going to get your statistics, okay? For those of you waiting for some stats here. Okay, I'm ready. He got 12 base hits, a record that was not broken until 1964. So, wow, 35 years later. Yeah. A while. Yeah. He committed no errors. He threw a runner out and led both teams with a 375 batting average. Hmm. He, in fact, Argued a play in his favor. <laughs> he is still considered one of the best hitters in baseball to this day. He is still in the top 100 baseball players of all time to this day. Mm-hmm. And mind you, he played a very, very short time in Major League Baseball. Right. 
So while he did nothing to throw any of the games, but actually did a lot of good in the games, mm-hmm. he did accept $5,000. Sometimes you need money. Yeah. After speculation that the series was thrown, a criminal investigation began. Oh, boy. And the trial began June 27th, 1921. Attorneys for the players told the court how their salaries were so low that they felt compelled to take the bet. I mean, yeah. Well, hmm. so they were saying that the players were making about $2,000 a year. Now, I just told you that one of the players was making $2,600 a year. Mm -hmm. And he was honestly probably the lowest on the salary, on the payroll. Mm. Okay. So they were tweaking things a little bit. Oh, maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Then payroll records come into the courtroom and prove very much otherwise. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the White Sox were among the highest played payers in all of baseball at the time. Dang. So their salaries actually ranged from 3500 to 15000 Dang. Now, that still seems low. Right. That's about 64000 to 276000 today. Mm-hmm. Like, that seems like, oh, that's a really, really good salary. Like, fuck, I hope, or I wish I made that much, $276,000 today. But your average right. major league baseball player today mm-hmm. makes $4.9 million. Yeah. So where yeah. in 1919, it was all about the owners and how much you know, mm-hmm. they made the major big bucks. Now, I'm sure owners make a lot of money today, too. But- Baseball players do make a lot of fucking money today. Right. They do. They really do. So for years, but for years, people kept getting this information thinking, oh, this is why they threw the game or the whole series. Mm -hmm. Because they were making only $2,000 a year. Mm -hmm. That was not the case. But that was in Eight Men Out. And that's where people were getting this information. A lot of this court these court documents weren't necessarily public knowledge or easily accessible yeah. back then either. And so it was like, right. this is what the attorneys were saying. This is what newspapers were reporting, you know. So so I'm going to give you a couple of the fictional freedoms that Elliot Asnoff gave in 8 Men Out. Okay. Not bashing him. I like the book. I like the movie. <laughs> so that bonus of Eddie Seacott's, mm-hmm. that was not true. Oh, Baseball records show that Eddie could have easily won 30 games. He wasn't benched. Mm -hmm. He wasn't benched. Okay. Okay. And in fact, he had already signed up for the fix before he ever even got to that 30th game. Oh, okay. So he just didn't play the game well enough to get any kind of bonus. And in fact, a, a huge bonus like that was never offered to anybody. Right. You were never going to double your salary. I mean, yeah. Eddie Seacott, I think I think his salary was like eight to ten thousand somewhere in there. They were not going mm-hmm. to give that much of a bonus, like maybe five hundred dollars. No. Right. And like sometimes they did get like they got extra when they played in a series, like in a world series, they would get like a per diem. So they would earn extra because they were playing more, you know, things yeah. like that. But right. There is also a part of the movie or in, in the book where there's a hitman. Oh, (laughs) the players, like if they weren't playing badly enough, that did not happen. And Elliot Asnoff admitted that he made that guy up. Okay. 
Uh, and probably the most famous scene, at least from the movie, I don't know if it's in the book. So I can't verify that because I didn't go back and reread the book. It's been a while. So after the trial, a kid walks up to Shoeless Joe and he says, say it ain't so, Joe. And then Jackson comes back and says, I'm afraid it is, kid. Aww. <laughs> that didn't happen. Right. When the trial was over, all of the players were acquitted. Mm-hmm. However, okay. the baseball commissioner at the time, Kennesaw Mountain Landis or Kenesaw, I've heard it both ways. Um, some people to this day, like that name equates like the devil, hate him, worst man in baseball commissioner history. Okay. He saw this as an opportunity to stop all of the gambling in baseball. Okay. So he banned all eight players from ever playing in the major leagues again. Oh my God. Yep. That sucks. And it basically did stop gambling. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you can see why a lot of people hate him because a couple of these players, like Shoeless Joe, Mm -hmm. they didn't do really. I mean, he did take $5,000. He did. Right. But he did nothing to throw the game. And so a lot of people felt like a cup, some of these players were very much punished way too strongly. Too harshly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I listened to a baseball historian talking about this and he, he was basically, and I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, he was saying like today that wouldn't happen. Like, yes, if somebody gambled, like they were, they're going to be punished, but they would also yeah. have more rights yeah. to fight that. And and to be banned from ever playing again, like maybe some of them would be, but not all eight. Right. It probably wouldn't have been all eight. You know, yeah. some of them may have been like put on um, like probation or something like that. You know, right? That is really harsh. Yeah. So, and like you can just never play again. And none of them will likely ever be inducted into the Hall of Fame either because of that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so we are an hour in and I'm going to give you some more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cause we're not done. Oh boy. This is going to be a long episode. Sorry guys. Okay. All right. So Charles Comiskey died in 1931. Okay. He passed the team on to his son, J. Lewis Comiskey. J. Lewis only owned it for eight years because unfortunately he died in 1939. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. It got passed on to his wife, Grace, who became the owner from 1939 to 1956. Okay. In August of August 14th of 1939, they installed four towers containing 768 floodlights. And so the first night game was played at Comiskey. Ooh. So this gave more fans the opportunity to watch a game. Mm-hmm. In on okay here we go we're gonna dive into this one now there's going into the next one by the way like there's i'm just giving you like some shit stuff that happened but there's some great baseball played in the stadium too okay i love baseball but okay <laughs> okay september 28th 1952 okay jim who also was called jungle jim rivera he was arrested right after the last game of the season literally at the ballpark for rape. Oh my gosh. Oh. Of a 22-year-old wife of a soldier. Oh. Was this a player? Yes, he is a player. Awesome. She was also the statistician of the White Sox. Okay. Rivera said it was consensual. Mm. He said, I'll take a lie detector test. And he passed. So nothing happened. 
Of course. Of course not. Of course not. Yeah. So, you know, totally fine. If the man says it didn't happen, it didn't happen. Right. Oh. Now, I'm not saying he's guilty because women do sometimes say things that aren't true, but not all the time. So I can't guarantee no. that he's yeah. guilty, but I'm just going to give you a just this little snippet, which, you know, might make you think he is. Okay. Uh, Ten years earlier in 1942, when Rivera was in the army, he was charged with raping and assaulting the daughter of an army captain. Oh, yeah. He said he didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Sure. So this is 1942, mind you. So they decided, well, we'll have a doctor prove that she's still a virgin. So they examined her and, oh and quote unquote, proved that she was still a virgin. So they- There's like no way to do that. Right. So the charges were changed to attempted rape. And, right. And Rivera was actually quoted saying, well, anyone can get you on that. Oh. Right. Anyone. Anyone. Can get you on attempted rape. Right. Everybody does that. All the time. Oh, my God. So now, mind you, this is in the military. And the military, yeah, very serious. And this woman was the daughter of a captain. And she was a nurse. Yeah. In the military. Yeah. Yeah. So Rivera was, That's was found up. guilty of attempted rape. And he was sentenced to life in prison. Okay. So you're, you're like, well, how was he playing in the Major League Baseball uh -huh. 10 years later then? Yeah, I did wonder that. Yeah. Well, he got the sentence reduced to 20 years. Basically, his argument was um, he was too harshly punished because it was the captain that, you know, the captain's mm -hmm. daughter. Um, and then, mm -hmm. then he got it reduced to nine years. Of course. Then he got it reduced to seven. Mm -hmm. But he only served four and a half. Yep. And the reason why is because he was so good at baseball – Oh, God. That the manager of the Atlanta team worked with the authorities to get him paroled so he could play baseball. That is so fucked up. Yeah. And then he just went and did it again. Yeah. But they just going to just let him off again. So. Right. He just got away with it. And, oh my and God. the podcast, I'll link the podcast that I got a lot of this from. It's called Crime and Sports, which is probably going to be a mm -hmm. great podcast for me to listen to for all of these mm -hmm. stadiums. The episode was called The Slipperiness of Jungle Jim. Oh, God. Gross. Yeah. So after his baseball career, he opened a bar. And in 1982, when he was 59 years old, he was arrested again. Again? What? Yeah. For child molestation of a 14-year-old girl. So, guys, do you see how that progressed mm -hmm. do you see how if maybe we had just actually punished him for the crimes he committed he wouldn't have molested a 14 year old girl yeah and that little girl would have been fine she would have lived a normal happy life but no so two <laughs> months later the charges were dropped what why uh, because he took a lie detector test and passed. Guys, lie detectors don't do shit. But during the test, this is why, this is why the charges were fucking dropped. During the test, he was quoted saying, I had reason to believe that she was older than 14. 
okay? Did you not ask her? Yeah. Did, did what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And these are only the three. Okay. These are three that were reported. So you've got to think yeah. there has to be. I'm more. sure there's plenty more, especially because if he's a baseball player and a business owner, he's like a big guy, you know. So he feels like he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. And he's proven right by this. Yeah. And he is actually was a very good baseball player. And a lot of people think he's a really upstanding, amazing guy. Well, I think he's a piece of shit and he should be burning in hell. Same. Yeah. Uh, So at the time, like I said, Grace was the owner. So upon Mm -hmm. Grace's death in 1956, the ownership of the team was transferred to Grace's oldest daughter, Dorothy Comiskey Riggy. Riggy. Dorothy Comiskey Rigney. Okay. So as happens often when uh, someone dies and there's a sibling who feels that that they should have something than their older sibling, Mm -hmm. Dorothy's brother Chuck, he was pretty pissed. Oh, because he he thought that he should be the majority owner. Of course. He's a man. Right. So the two argued over it for a couple years. And Dorothy finally Mm -hmm. just said, fine, I will sell my rights to you. Fine. But Chuck made such a low ball offer that in 1959, after only three years of ownership, Dorothy ended up selling her rights to Bill Veck who has nothing to do with the Comiskeys. Right. So this ended the ownership for the Comiskey family because she just said, fuck you, man. Yeah, I'm not taking your lowball offer. I know what this team is worth. I'll just take it out of the family. Yeah. So go Dorothy. Honestly, good for her. Make that bag. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the fact that he was such a dick to his own sister to lowball her and, like, fight with her right. for a couple years over it. Like, yeah. I Like, fuck that. I would be a dick about it, too. Yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, so, Bill Veck. Uh, he was a previous ownership of a couple other major league teams. Uh, mm-hmm. This would... Uh, so, the Comiskeys had owned this the team for 58 years. Mm-hmm. And now it was going to Bill Veck. And he, he was known to have some pretty far-out ideas. Okay. On April 28, 1960, at a night game, Bill Veck unveiled his exploding scoreboard. Oh. This included lights, pinwheels, and I mean, you see this, and there's like a huge pinwheel in the middle, and then there's like five different pinwheels like on each side mm-hmm. of it. There was sirens. Uh, That's crazy. It was 130 feet wide. Okay. And at the time, it cost $300,000 to build the scoreboard. Oh my God. Yes. It is a little, which was at the time. At the, yeah. And today that would be $3 million. That's insane. Three days later, on May 1st, 1960, when Al Smith hit, his, hit a two run homer, so this would be the first home run after the exploding mm-hmm. scoreboard, fireworks exploded. Oh, that's cool. And so this kind of started when fireworks went off for home runs, because like a lot of stadiums right. do that nowadays. Yeah. In 1978, Vec had a shower head installed by the bleachers so fans could cool off. And there is a, vi- a, a picture oh of him like under this huge shower head. 
That's like, funny. I mean, when it gets hot in the summer, right. you could, you just pull this string and it just like showers on top of you and right. cools you off. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's like how the how the zoo has the little misters. Yeah, yeah, but this was like full yeah. on shower. Right. Um, in nineteen seventy nine, the socks weren't doing great. Mm. They didn't weren't having a great season, mm-hmm. and the attendance had really started to drop. I mean, like some games bringing less than ten thousand fans. Ooh. So by this time, Vex's son Mike was now the promotions director. Okay. And he kept looking for ways to promote the game and like gotta bring in attendance, like attendance is so low, we're losing money. You right. Know. So he heard a radio DJ that had a gimmick in the mornings of blowing up records on the air. And by blowing up, I mean like music or like a sound effect. I okay. Mean. So in 1979, disco music was on the rise. Mm-hmm. And it was becoming so popular that radio stations were changing their format from whatever that was, like country, rock and roll, whatever. And they were moving over to disco in order to, like, get listeners. Right. So radio DJ Steve Dahl ended up being fired from his station because they were changing from rock and roll to disco. Mm -hmm. And Steve Dahl was very bitter. I mean, very bitter. Okay. He found another job as a as a DJ at a rock station. And so you would think, cool, moving on, got another job. I'm good. Mm-hmm. No. He's still better. No. So every morning, he would bash disco music. He would take a disco record and he would literally scratch it on the air. Like he'd play a little snippet of a disco song. Then he'd scratch it, the record on the air. And then he would make a blow up oh sound. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes. Every morning. Dude. He also held death to disco nights at nightclubs. Oh. He made parody songs about how horrible disco was. This guy's crazy. Oh, he gets worse. Oh, God. On his radio show, he would often also say things that were racist. Of course. And homophobic. Of course. And if it gives you any indication as to the shit that this man would say and do... Hmm. Howard Stern supposedly got his inspiration from Steve Dahl. So if you know anything about Howard Stern. A little bit. (laughs) Disco also was very much a large part of the gay community and the black Mm -hmm. and Latino communities at the time. Yep. I was just thinking that. And Steve Dahl got fired because his station turned to disco. So he was fucking outraged by this. Mm-hmm. So Mike Vec, he got wind of the this guy, this DJ blowing up disco records on the air. And he was like, well, I'm trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to get people to come to my games. Mm. So he saw an opportunity. Oh, God. He literally was standing at the doorway when Steve Dahl's shift ended that day. Mike Vec was standing there like, I got to talk to you about a promotion. I have an idea. So together, oh, they put this disco demolition night at the baseball stadium. Every fan that came that brought a disco record only had to pay 98 cents for a ticket for a double header. So they got to see two mm-hmm. games for 98 cents mm-hmm. and a disco record. Mm-hmm. July 12th, 1979. So in between the time between the two games, Dahl was going to take all these records and blow them up on the field. Like literally blow them up. 
like explosion explosion like a literal explosion okay. not a sound effect that sounds, that sounds very safe mm-hmm. it totally was yeah like yep we're done that was great okay I bet the fire this, department was thrilled nothing happened right right god so in regards to fans showing up the promotion absolutely worked because 48,000 okay. fans were admitted. Wow. Now, mind you, they did not have that many seats. Uh-huh. So this was over capacity already. Yep. Unfortunately, when you combine a very large group of people who are being encouraged to hate disco, mm-hmm. who is by Steve Dahl, who is known for making mm-hmm. racist and homophobic comments... Yeah. And then you add alcohol. Uh-huh. And then you add an explosion. Things might not go very well. No, it won't. Um, so some fans couldn't get in because they were already over capacity. Mm-hmm. So they did not wait patiently outside on the street. They yeah. actually started breaking through barriers and climbing in to the stadium. Oh, in total, it was estimated there ended up being about 60,000 people in the stadium. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, that does not sound fun. Several fans did not throw their records into the collection boxes when they were supposed to at the gates. Mm-hmm. And started using records, records, which are very, very hard started using them as, like, frisbees and throwing them out onto the field. Ow. So the first game ends. Mm-hmm. Dahl rides out onto the field in a military jeep, dressed in army fatigues okay. and a helmet. Okay. He grabs the mic and he starts yelling into the mic. I mean, he is yelling, oh. disco sucks, he's ranting. So he's he's really fueling the crowd with all of this. Mm-hmm. So this box, which was basically the size of a dumpster, oh. filled with records, was in the middle of the mm-hmm. field. And okay. Dahl's ranting and raving. He turns around and he points at it. Someone lights a fuse and it literally blows up in the middle of the field. Records. That is so dangerous. Yeah. Records are now flying out of this explosion. These hard records, pieces yeah. of records are flying. Pieces of them, yeah. like, because they're going to be broken after that. Oh, yeah. The yeah. box catches fire. Hmm. And there's a huge crater in the field now. Smoke is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just filled. You can't see. Yeah. Fans now start jumping onto the field. Oh, God. I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes fucking chaos. Yeah. That's a perfect recipe for chaos. Yes. There are there are so many people in the field now. They are throwing beer. They are flinging records. Mm-hmm. They're picking up bases, like the bases on the field and mm-hmm. throwing them. That's so crazy. They all have like these banners that say disco sucks on them. Like, mm-hmm. talk about bed sheets earlier on, like, bed sheets and shit, like, huge banners. Yeah. They are lighting yeah. those on fire now. Dude, people are going to get hurt. There was estimated to be about 7,000 people on the field. Holy shit. Yeah. They started ripping up pieces of the turf. Oh, my God. 
climbed into the dugouts and tried to break into the players' rooms. Luckily, they didn't get in. That's good. Yeah. The ushers are trying to get people off the field. There's like the big flashing signs are saying, please return to your seats. Like, it is just fucking chaos. Absolute chaos. Yeah. And like the damage that that could cause to the stadium itself had to be freaking expensive. So finally, the riot police had to come in. Yeah. In order to get everybody off the field. Dude. By the time they got them off the field, the field was a disaster. Trashed. And they're supposed to play another game right after this. Yeah. So the White Sox had to forfeit that second game. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's super awesome. I bet those fans feel really good about themselves. Uh, So Mike Vec said later that this promotion essentially ended his career in baseball. Yeah. That was one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. That was a stupid idea. Yes, it was. Uh, The event became known as the day that disco died because the Grammys canceled their disco category after this, after only one year of having it. What? Yeah. That's crazy. Stations started going back to rock music. Wow. And Prince... Motherfucking Prince got booed off stage in 1981 when he opened for the Rolling Stones. Prince! Prince? Who the fuck boos Prince off stage? What? And the Rolling Stones even said, like, we've had opening acts that are black several times, and they have always been well accepted. Mm-hmm. Prince, that blew my mind. Prince, that's insane. Like, What? That blew me away. That's insane. All of this is insane. All of this is fucking insane, but that blew me away. The idea to have the idea to have an anti-anything, anti-anything event is going to get people angry. Mm-hmm. And that is going to cause riots. Yeah. It's just not a good way to do it. And then you add an actual explosion in the middle of a city. In the middle of a stadium mm-hmm. full of overcrowded with people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is just the worst idea I have ever heard. Yeah. So I'm sorry, but that should end your career with baseball. Yeah. You should be done after that. Yeah. Go find another career. And, and he, he kind of has to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor guy. My lord. Uh, I was just blown away by Prince. I was like, that's what? insane. Yeah. I would have loved to see Prince live before he was gone. Ugh, I, would have I loved know. That. I know. I mean, hell, I'd love to see the Rolling Stones too, but you know. Yeah. In 1981, I wasn't going to any concerts. Yeah. <laughs> July of 2019, mm-hmm. 40 years after Disco Demolition Night, the White Sox held a promotion with t shirts and Steve Dahl threw out the first pitch. This brought a lot of criticism to the White Sox. Yeah. Yeah. Because it also brought into it brought it into the light that it was a very racist and homophobic event. Very. And I think a lot of people had kind of like didn't didn't realize that, I guess, mm-hmm. because it was back in, you know, 79. Right. And, you know, a lot of people today may not have known about it, but it kind of brought it back into the light. So the White Sox kind of got a lot of shit for that. Yeah. Dave Marsh from Rolling Stone magazine was quoted saying, 
There was something distinctly ugly about the vast crowd of white men publicly destroying music predominantly made by black artists, dominated by female stars, and with a core audience that was at least initially largely gay, end quote. Yeah, because you can't, the whole idea of it, it's not that they were anti-disco. No. They were anti-everybody who made and listened to disco. Correct. They were just trying to find some loophole to allow them to be racist and homophobic. Yeah. So now that this got brought back into the light, Mm -hmm. let's just, let's just see what Steve Dahl has to say about it. Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Okay. Because you would think 40 years later, he's like, oh, you know, that was... I'm so sorry. I made a terrible mistake. No, I, I don't Let's, believe that. <laughs> oh, a little bit. You have no faith in him, Abigail. I really don't. <laughs> I really don't. I Sorry, Steve. I'm not. Here's what Steve has to say. All right. I'm worn out from defending myself as a racist homophobe. Oh. The event was not anti-racist, not anti-gay. We were just kids pissing on a musical genre. Right. And so then people said, well, you should probably like maybe at least apologize. Like instead of, oh, I'm sorry. For, I'm tired of defending myself. I'm like, exhausted. Oh. oh, my goodness. Everybody feel bad Poor for me. Steve. I'm the victim here. Poor Steve. Gosh, Typical Steve. white man. Typical white man. His response to saying maybe he should apologize. Did he apologize? No. His response was, I'm sorry if that's caused you harm or has hurt you in some way. That's all I can do about it. That is, uh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that's not an apology. No, it's fucking not. I don't think any man knows how to apologize in a sincere way (laughs) at all. They're like, oh, sorry that you feel that way. The immediate gaslighting. Oh, yeah. I just, I love the... I'm sorry that you got hurt. But I'm not sorry I said it. Right. No, no. So September 30th, 1990, with 42,849 people in attendance, the White Sox played their last game at Comiskey Park. They won two to one against the Seattle Mariners. All right. And Charles Comiskey's grandson was among those in attendance. Okay. Yep. At the time, it was the oldest park in baseball, and it was 80 years old. Wow. Yes. And there was a documentary about it called Last Comiskey, and it was about the last Mm -hmm. game played at Comiskey. It's a four-part series. It's on YouTube, and I'll link that as well. I only watched the first two parts so far. I do want to watch the last two, but it turned. what it was was it was a guy that just wanted to do his own little documentary to kind of fill his time mm-hmm. while going through a pandemic in 2020. Yeah. And it ended up turning into a pretty amazing documentary and it took three years to end up making oh, wow. interviews from so many old baseball mm-hmm. players, fans. I mean, it, it's, it was pretty cool. Lots of old footage. Right. So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go finish watching it. In January, 1991, Starting behind the right field corner, they started to demolish Old Comiskey Park. And it took through the end of the summer to complete. Mm -hmm. The land was turned into a parking lot for the new stadium. Dang. 
home plate was turned into a plaque and the foul lines were painted where they once were. Oh. And the ramps were actually designed to outline the grandstand. Okay. And the outfield shower was moved to the new stadium. <laughs> uh, in 1939, Charles Comiskey was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Okay. And in 1991, Bill Veck was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Oh, nice. And that is Comiskey Park. Aww. <laughs> Old Comiskey yeah. Park. That was yes. really interesting, though. Thanks. I mean, I literally could have made that even more right. because there was so much more to it. Like, I every time that we, like, because... <laughs> For those listening, we kept postponing recording this just because, like, things are going on mm -hmm. with the 4th of July holiday right. and Abigail traveling here and all that. And every opportunity, I was like, okay, I can get a little more. Okay, I can get a little more. <laughs> like, I remember. I literally, I probably could have, like, made Comiskey Park its own, like, three-part series. Yeah. But that was good. You know. That was good. It had, it had a little bit of everything in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it did. That was good. So there you go. That's the first of a series that I'll be doing on sports stadiums. Nice. Sounds good, Mama. Yeah. So there you go. Right. There we are. We're going to have some uh, bonus episodes coming up <laughs> for our patrons. If you would like to be a Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash roadside. And you can get a seven-day free trial yeah. so you can listen to the bonus episodes that are out right now. Oh, yeah. You can also follow us on our socials. You can. You can follow us at TikTok at Roadside Podcast. Instagram at Roadside Pod. Facebook at Roadside Podcast. YouTube at Roadside Pod. And you can go to our website at roadsidepodcast.com where you can find all of those socials there and our Patreon and all that stuff. Yes. And then you can also email us at roadsidepod at gmail.com. Let us know what stadium you would like to hear about. Yeah. Do it. And, um, that's it. No so we love you. Thank you. We love all of you. I'm so happy I got to do that episode. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I liked that a lot. Thank you. All right, everybody. Go out and find the thrill in the mysterious. Mwah. Bye. Bye-bye.